this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are celebrating 2016. You know what that means? Uh, okay. No, I don't know what that means. Well, Jay. It's almost it's it's February. What are we doing? Yeah. So it's February, but we're ignoring that anything in 2017 has happened for our own well-being. That, but that's also a good idea. because <laughs> because we uh, we had a contest at the end of 2016, Jay. Oh, that's our, right. On our Patreon page where our Patreon subscribers uh, join us to chat about uh, various things and win various items from us. And we had a contest at the end of the year. We gave away a couple of things, Jay. We gave away, well, there were options. We had a, we, This was a, a choose-your-own-adventure contest, basically. And uh, the winner of that contest is joining us from from the from the warm confines of uh Hotlanta, Mr. Chris Martz. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Absolutely. How warm is it there? Just so I know cuz it's 25 degrees here in Columbus. Wow, so actually it's been a pretty warm winter. It got up to about 70 degrees again today, which I don't know why, but this has been really it's been a very warm winter. We've had a lot of days up near like high 60s and and like and getting into 70, which rarely happens, but I don't know. Can't, I can't complain. We were 80 today. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. In well, your face, Manichi. Yeah, great. That means the um, ozone layer is burning up, is burning thinner where you are, I think, and that uh, you'll be the first to go when the uh, ecology collapses. I, I just... I just think it's all that Falcons fever, you know. There's a, like, everybody's just so hot, like hyped about the game that it's just right. creating this massive heat wave here. Now we're recording this before the Super Bowl, Chris. Would you care to make a prediction because this is going to air after the Super Bowl about what the final score will be on Super Bowl LI Falcons versus Patriots? All right, now I've I've been to a lot of Falcons games and seen a lot of heartbreak so i'm always very reticent to you know hype up my team or whatever but i just don't think that anybody can stop this falcons offense so i'm probably going to go we'll say 31 21 falcons interesting so correct me if i'm wrong the did the falcons have the number one offense in the nfl yeah they scored the most points of any team in the nfl this year and the patriots had the number one scoring defense i believe in the nfl yeah but they didn't play anybody that's the problem like, look hey at the quarterbacks they have to face on. the buffalo bills twice a year they play a hell of a schedule no my point is my point is, they played the browns too come on yeah, yeah they played the Browns. come on okay no here's my point this is this is why this is relevant i'm bringing this up five times in the history of the super bowl the number one scoring offense has faced the number one Scored scoring defense. Do you know what the end result of those five contests have been? Um, yeah, you're. I think it's what one and four or something like that, where the defensive team has won. The defense has won four out of five, eighty yeah. percent of the time. Yeah, 
Well, listen, I, all year long we've said, how you know, it, what is this offense ever going to hit a wall? And it hasn't happened yet, so I'm not expecting it to happen again on Sunday. I, we'll I, see. I think it's going to be a good game. That's all I'm going to say. All right. <laughs> I, I, I find it very difficult to even predict that the Patriots are going to win deep because of my deep hatred for the Patriots. I have a, I have a begrudging respect, but I have a deep hatred. And um, I do kind of want to see Roger Goodell have to hand the Super Bowl trophy to Bob Kraft and, and Tom Brady. <laughs> I just think that would be so incredibly awkward that it would ju- I would just like to have that happen. Not that I want the Patriots to win. If they could somehow not win but still have the trophy <laughs> handed to them, I think that would I- be hilarious. I totally agree, and if it was any other team except for the Falcons, I'd be rooting for that. But you know, it's this is our year. Everything has come into place. Like this, this has to be the year that we finally break through. Will Deion Sanders be on hand for this? Um, I'm I'm sure he'll be there some way, uh, somewhere. But is will MC Hammer be back for this? I mean, have they (laughs) did they get the Dirty Birds back and Andre Risen and? uh... And all those, all those folks. Who was the quarterback uh, on that team? I can't even remember. Was it Chris Miller? Chris Chandler. Chris Chandler. Yeah, he was the one that went to the. He took us to the Super Bowl, and was it two thousand? Yeah, two thousand. Yeah. So, nah. I mean, like the last home game of the of the regular season was the last. They thought it was going to be the last game of the Georgia Dome, so they brought back a lot of the old players. You know, t- topped off by Michael Vick making his triumphant return. To the Georgia Dome, so I mean, I'm sure they're going to be a lot of old old school Falcons there, but you never know who's going to show up. I think Dion still works for NFL Network, so he'll, I'm sure he'll be there in some capacity. Right. Well, we should actually move off of the football talk for the uh, people who don't give a crap about that kind of stuff and want to hear us talk about music, and we should talk about the album that was your selection that, from the contest. That you won at the end of 2016. What album did you pick and why did you pick it? So I picked Brainiac's 1996 album, uh, Hissing Prigs and Static Couture on Touch and Go Records. And the reason I picked this album is because I've probably listened to this album hundreds of times. And it's an album that, you know, because of other circumstances doesn't really get a lot of press and Brainiac's not a band that people really talk about anymore after what happened. And we'll get into that later, but it's just an album that kind of gets overlooked and I really think people need to hear it. And, you know, if you get a few more people to hear it, just be totally happy with it. And we'll get into a little bit of the history of Brainiac and, and some of the stuff that you mentioned, but before we do so, I want to have you announce the second half of your contest win was you got to pick a roundtable topic from uh, we we have a couple different series that are going on. One of them is uh, the cities digging your scene where we go and investigate a scene from the 90s. And then the second one is our in the 90s where we take a band that was successful previously to the 90s, 70s and 80s being relevant mostly the 80s but 70s as well potentially because we did tom petty and he was successful in the 70s and then we look at their career in the 90s and how that went over whether they survived it or 
were murdered by the 90s. So, officially, we'd like you to announce your pick for your roundtable for this year. What's it going to be? Okay, so I'm going to choose one of my all-time favorite bands. Uh, another one of these bands that was massively successful in the 70s. Um, they survived the 80s, and in the 90s, they went from pretty much the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And, um, that band is kiss. They, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a, a, there's hundreds of kiss podcasts out there, mm-hmm. but if I, you know, if not really many of them stick to just what happened in the nineties, you go from the beginning of the nineties where they just had, were so much turmoil didn't we're trying to find their sound and then you know you go to the mid to late 90s where they finally reunite put the makeup back on and make millions and millions and millions of dollars so be an interesting topic lots to talk about we will have done roundtables on my probably two most listened to bands in my life van halen and kiss (laughs) (laughs) and i'll be wrapping up this year mission accomplished and moving on to another podcast tim (laughs) excellent well jay uh we haven't done tesla yet so you can't move on that's true that's true until we get to do tesla in the 90s (laughs) so let's talk about brainiac because they're a unique band in a lot of ways they're an ohio band which is uh, relevant to us in terms of their location being from dayton ohio it has a strangely successful music scene in the 90s you're talking about the breeders you're talking about guided by voices it's a small city it's of the major cities in ohio it's the smallest of the majors i would say you'd look at cleveland cincinnati columbus toledo uh dayton's after all those and yet it produced a pretty amazing group of bands in the 90s this is a band in in going back. I ha, I was familiar with uh, the first album, Smack Bunny Baby. That was one I think I picked it up used somewhere in the early two thousands because I was I didn't listen to the band in the nineties and I picked it up and and liked that record. But I didn't look into anything after that. And I was aware the band had some tragedy, which we'll get into, and that they some of the members had moved on to other bands. When we moved to Columbus, I remember that there were bands that referenced Brainiac as being an influence that we were playing with. Jay, I don't know if you remember, there was a band called The Lack, which I remember a lot of people comparing to Brainiac for mm. their sound. Jay, were you familiar with Brainiac at all previous to us doing this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, I think once we moved to Columbus, they were just one of those bands that just were mentioned a lot. I don't remember ever hearing them before that. So yeah, it was really just in the context of other bands talking about them and referencing them and, just the local, you know, like that area of Ohio. The most famous band from Dayton is Guided by Voices, I think. But uh, one of the weird things is that Dayton is like the home of funk music, I've learned. Uh, oh, the Ohio Players are from there. There's a, a funk band called Slave who um, had quite a few like popular albums in the 70s. Uh, Lakeside is another funk band. Zap. Like they, that, Dayton is like the home of funk, which I would never have guessed that. And in doing research on Dayton, I discovered that 
recently. Hmm. Not that it's really relevant to talking about Brainiac, but uh, just an odd sort of note about uh, Dayton, Ohio, which is uh, west side of the state, south of Toledo, north of Cincinnati, I think is the best way to describe its location for people not familiar with uh, Dayton in in relation to the rest of the state. In terms of uh, reading about the history, we'll get into a little bit now. So the band was formed by Tim Taylor, who was the vocalist, guitarist. He played keyboards. Um, bassist Juan uh, Monasterio, uh, guitarist Michelle Bodine, and drummer Tyler Trent. They released a couple of singles, and then their debut album, Smack Bunny Baby, which I mentioned, came out on Grass Records in 1993. Bonsai Superstar was released in 1994 and for that record um i believe bodine left the band at that point and was replaced by john schmerzel i think is how you pronounce the name and that was produced by eli janney of girls against boys actually he did the first record too i shouldn't i should not uh, forget to or i should uh, mention that they ended up in 1995 playing Lollapalooza. I'm not sure how. Maybe we can get into it. But they ended up signing to Touch and Go Records. I think they had played a show in Chicago, and people had seen them there. And they, so they ended up signing to Touch and Go. And 1996, they released the album we're uh, going to be reviewing, which is Hissing Prigs in Static Couture. Couture? Couture. How do you say that word? How do you say that, Chris? Couture? Couture. Sure. <laughs> is that French? That's a French word. Sure. I think that's a French word. Pretty sure. That's why I'm bad at it. So this is where things turn, I guess you'd say, tragic. They started opening for big bands on tour. Beck, The Breeders, Jesus Lizard. Uh, they started talking to major labels. They released an EP in be- for In Between Records. And then Tim Taylor was killed in a car accident in May of 1997. It was a single car crash. The band broke up at that point and the various folks went on their own separate ways guitarist john schmerzel schmerzel went on to form the band enon juan monasterio became a music director and formed a band with uh one of the members of bullet la volta and then what was the uh oh the original guitar player michelle bodine uh, formed a couple new bands, including one called Jesus, which I think we played with Jay, if I remember correctly. That does sound familiar. Yeah, and it's uh, ringing a bell. The story I forgot about the car accident. That was probably where I heard about them most. Was just people talking about that. Right. Let's talk about this record. It's the third record. It's the last record. I did some reading on it, and there was a lot of people that referenced Brainiac as an influence from. Cedric and Omar of Mars Volta to Matt Bellamy of Muse, Chris Walla of Death Cab, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. A lot of people mentioning that Brainiac was a an influence on them or or a band that they looked to as far as being, you know, pushing the envelope and that sort of thing. So let's get into this record. Neither of, of us were familiar with it. So Jay, what did you like about it? Well, I think it's it's challenging um, in the way that the um, in some ways like the Mr. Mr. Bungle record was. But for me, it it works better because 
or at least I enjoy it more in that it's based on a really good drummer and a really good bass player. So, you know, these songs are held together by not only just, you know, how well they play together, but, you know, their parts, they, you know, they create some pretty cool grooves. They create some pretty cool rhythms. There's a lot of dynamic there. And that allows really the guitars and the vocals to almost do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can kind of get very experimental, layered, strange sounds, it still holds together as a song and it's consistent from the front of the record to the back in terms of, you know, it seems it sounds like the same group of people in the same space making music. And that's the other I think the other thing that I really liked about it was that they make a bunch of different the sounds on the record, but it's all it sounds like mostly just using, you know, guitars, bass, drums. You know, there's parts in here where they make their guitars sound almost like horns, you know, which is I think that works better rather than going to a keyboard and using the horn patch. Right. Um, it holds it all together a much, uh, a much more cohesive way. It keeps you sort of um, engaged in the record. You know, you don't, there's no point at which you like step out, like sonically, like separate to, to think like, what the hell's that? Or where did that come from? You know? Um, right. So I think from that aspect, yeah, it's an experimental band, but I think it's accessible because of those reasons. They give you enough to kind of grab onto that you can go along for the ride and the challenge pays off. Yeah, I want to echo what you say in terms of or what you said in terms of the bass and the drums. Like I really felt like this sounded much more like a cohesive band because of that. Like even though there is a bit of you know, quite a bit of diversity from song to song in terms of style and and how they approach you know some of the songs are a little bit more experimental whereas i feel like at the core you know this is in a lot of ways and i i'm not comparing it to smack bunny baby which i haven't listened to in a long time but i remember it being a little bit harsher elements of this that remind me of like like with the um with the grooves that the drums and the bass are doing and then with some of the guitar stuff that almost reminds me of like John Spencer blues explosion that I like, cause there's a lot of stuff about John Spencer blues explosion. I don't like that we've covered in when we talked about that record. Yeah. Um, but they do this sort of, um, you know, weird combination of sixties throwback guitar stuff with these synths that are both dated and then sort of kind of, futuristic sounding at the same time i don't know how to describe it exactly but it's like they do a good job of placing this record or 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 making this record sound like it doesn't have a time or place like this sounds like it could come out now and it wouldn't sound retro it would just sound current to what is happening now And it was interesting to hear, you know, all the people that were listed on their Wikipedia pages reference them as an influence. And then I could go back and 
listen to this record and go, oh yeah, I can totally hear the vocals that Omar does on Mars Volta are totally imitating what Tim Taylor's doing on a lot of this stuff with either distorting his vocal or using various effects and or with some there's songs on here like um track track five strung mm-hmm. kind of sounds like a nine inch nails song yeah. to me and i can yeah. i can pick that where you know if you listen to that and then you go to like something like on the fragile or year zero or something like that it kind of has that kind of feel and i i started to get an idea of like where those bands were coming from in terms of referencing them as an influence and it was cool to hear them crisscross between what would be an industrial band to a like i don't know what you call mars volta a post rock jam salsa band i don't know but, <laughs> uh i don't know i don't know how to <laughs> file them down to a, one description yeah. but it was t- cool to hear all those different bands that had been influenced by this band within this band but still this band sounding pretty cohesive So Chris, when you were when you got into Brainiac, was it on an earlier record or was that, or is it on this record? Uh no, it was on this one. Okay. Um I was a fan of Touch and Go stuff and back in high school. Big fan of Girls Against Boys and Jesus Lizard and so I'm pretty sure I was just out shopping one day and I was flipping through CDs and I saw that Eli Janney had produced this and it was a new record and so I thought Hey, this looks interesting. I'll pick it up. And I remember putting it on and just thinking, what is this? Um, I've never heard anything like this before. And the more that I listened to it, I thought, this, this is pretty good. There's some good songs on it. There's some, some rocking songs. But what you, were, what you guys were talking about with the bass and the drums, I think it became a lot more apparent where I, I'm guessing that neither of you guys saw Brainiac play live. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. When, when you saw them live, it was just, I mean, what, what I tell people is that I've seen thousands of bands live. I, I go to shows all the time still, and nobody will ever top that night that I saw Brainiac. They were just the most amazing band that I ever saw. And part of it was that the rhythm section the, they just let Tim Taylor do his own thing because they held the songs together while Tim Taylor is just one of the best front men I've ever seen, just playing the keys, playing the guitar and singing and just doing everything that he did. And he was just one of the most fantastic singers I've ever seen live. And it was so entertaining. And I was just a 17 year old kid had never seen anything like that before. And I just remember being completely blown away. And I think that it comes across best on this album how they were as a live band and so when i listen to this record nowadays it just takes me back to you know going to see them in february of 97 just 
I, I still remember that show and just how amazing this band was. And, you know, unfortunately we, <laughs> three months later that it was all over. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about this record. It's just, it's one, uh, it's, it, if you ever saw Brainiac live, you'd probably understand what I'm trying to say, but it's hard to put it into words. Yeah. And, and in the record, you can tell it's, uh, it, I don't want to say it has a live feel, but it definitely feels there's a performance aspect to it. Whereas, um, you know, uh, to compare it to uh, Mr. Bungle, you know, that was one of my criticisms of that is that it didn't feel like a performance. It felt like a recording. It just, it's so much, this feels much more immediate. And I can, uh, even though I never saw them live, I can, in my mind, start to imagine what that would be like because the record is close enough. You know, it's got a performance aspect to it, so I can start to, you know, put that picture together in some way. And, and you know, there's so many. I mean, you hit on a lot of the the different influences and sounds in this record, Tim. I mean, you mentioned kind of a like a you might have said like a garage rocky kind of mm-hmm. thing. I was thinking of the Hives. Like, there's there's moments on this record, like, wow, this could be like some experimental record that the hives did, you know, right. there's like a section where you're, you're like, Holy shit, that sounds exactly like them. And there's another section where you're, you know, you'll, uh, it gets, it sounds exactly like early cursive. And there's another section that sounds exactly like early at the drive-in. And it's just like these moments that all kind of stitch together, uh, really pretty seamlessly. I mean, for it being as, you know, it, it pushes a lot of boundaries, but it does it in a way where, you know, it kind of grabs you by the hand and pulls you along. It, it never like is so such a sharp turn that you feel like completely lost, um, which I think is key um, to be able to get into music like this. You, you, you got to help me a little bit. <laughs> and I think underneath it all, there's a really strong melodic sensibility. You know, they, mm-hmm. they obscure it with layers and effects sometimes and just syncopation and, you know, there's some guitar tones on here that are just gnarly, like distorted clipping. You know, they really push the boundaries on some aspects of it. But on underneath it all, you know, there's a lot of really strong melodic parts, which, again, it's kind of what you grab onto, right? You grab the rhythm first and then you're looking for the melodies and all of the other stuff going on is kind of, you know, messing with your head and making it interesting. But if you don't have those two parts to find... You know, for me at least, I, I, you know, I can't really ever get into a record, and they managed to deliver on both of those. So, again, I think that's why it works so well for me. I want to mention uh, Keith Sawyer left us some feedback over on our Patreon page. He said, "I'm just going to condense it because he wrote quite a bit." But he said, "He said this is the pinnacle of their recorded output. The songs have a manic and unpredictable structure that's both energizing and abrasive, which I think is a good combination of words." It's like being accosted by a fiery street preacher with a compelling but foreign message. It's like being taken on a dangerous shortcut by an incoherent cab driver. driver. You don't quite know what's coming next, but you're certainly feeling something on the journey. Every song delivers visceral thrills. Uh, The production really transmits their electric energy unlike any other Brainiac record ever. Um. I want to ask you, Chris, how does the record compare to them live? Did they 
were they able to pull off the record? Did they embellish it live? I'm curious because these are pretty tightly constructed songs in terms of I don't think that on the whole record, other than the last song, there's not one over four minutes. I mean, these are all two minutes, it's three a, minutes, two minutes. I mean, it goes a by 35. Fa- it's a 35 minute record. Yeah. I mean, it's, you I don't mean, see yeah. that often in, a, in an experimental kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, totally. I, I mean, it was, it was a very frantic live performance. Um, they were very tight. It was pretty close to what you hear on the recordings. And, that's one of the things that I remember is that, man, this really, this record really translated well live because of, you know, just how talented these guys were. Oh, man, I'm, it, I mean, it's funny that you talk about the last song, I'm a Cracked Machine. Um, that's what they actually ended it with. And I remember just them looping it over and over at the end to end the performance. And it's just, it's the one time I've ever seen a band where I wanted them to stop playing because I didn't want them to play a slow song or something that I didn't like. Now, I'm, I've never felt that way before because these guys are just, you listen to it and you don't think that they can recreate it live, but it was just, they were manic, they were frantic, but it was so tight and so good that when I listen to it nowadays, it takes me back to that and it sounds almost exactly the same, but I just, I can't watch them and put that visual aspect to it, you know? And if you want to, there are some, not a lot, but there are some live performances on YouTube of Brainiac shows. So you can find stuff on there to, to see what we're talking about as far as them being a live band. How many times did you see them? Oh, just once. It was in, uh, it was in the basement of this uh, building at Georgia Tech, actually. It's a little spot called Under the Couch, which... You know, in the in the following years, I'd see a lot more you know hardcore shows there. But now that was the first one I ever saw there. It was just kind of going on a whim, like, hey, my friends kind of wanted because I was still a senior in high school. I was like, and my friends want to go to the show. I guess I'll go. And man, I'm just I'm so glad that I went. And it's one of those that it's one of those shows I'll never forget. To be honest with you. So Jay, was there anything on the record that didn't work for you, or stuff that maybe? Um... You know, as far as this being an experimental record, I know that's yeah. not always our cup of tea. Uh, was there anything that you had an issue with? Uh, I don't. I don't always love the falsetto he goes into. Um, he, he's got a lot of different voices. He shifts quite a bit. So even if he goes into a spot that you don't love, uh, he's going to switch it pretty quickly, or double it, or add you know something else interesting to it. That's an acquired taste for me. I mean, it's so over the top. It's almost kind of comical. It's such an extreme falsetto he does. That's probably the, been the most difficult barrier to get over. Um, but I'm finding the more I listen to it, the, the melody and the hook of it kind of grab you and you start to get used to it. And it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I guess that's really my only 
complaint would be a little less of that. And I'd like to hear some of his other, some of the other, uh, you know, vocals more, but really other than that, it's just, it takes a little time. You know, the first time you hear the record, I think like Chris said, you, you're going to probably think, well, actually maybe not. I mean, we, <laughs> it's funny. There's so many bands that kind of, like we said, have done elements of this and that, that it, I guess it's probably, it's not nearly as a, as abrasive now as it was in 1996 when it came out. So, but I could see, you know, still some folks, it, it's taken a couple of listens to get into it and, and understanding it. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think you have to warm up to his vocals. It kind of reminds me of, in that sense, like Kevin Barnes from Of Montreal. Like, I find that that, that was a band that I had to like, I, I grew to really like, but his vocal kind of put me off. And not so much as as Tim Taylor's, but just in terms of it just being a little bit over the top at times. But I I've grown to appreciate both of theirs. And you know, I really I don't I I I listened to this record we had a couple extra days to listen to it and you know, it's so short, it would just go by so quick and and yeah. listen to it like over and over and again getting into it and uh it's one of those rare occasions where I'm like, I kind of was hoping there, I kind of wish there was maybe like one or two more tracks where, you know, they maybe stretched out a little bit just to hear what some more bigger ideas might've been. But, um, I kind of, I did sample like the EP that came out after this, the electroshock EP. And they, I could kind of hear where maybe they were going to go in a little bit, uh, different a direction on whatever was coming up next on the recordings. It was a little bit, uh, a little more space, I guess. Uh, I would say in some of those recordings, a little bit more experimental. Mm-hmm. So, not that this is an experimental. It's it's a weird thing to call this experimental because it's so tightly constructed. Yeah, and some of these songs, I mean, they're fairly, you know, traditional structure too. You know, um, mm-hmm. two and a half minutes. I think even on a couple, they start with a chorus. <laughs> You know that, right? I think that's what makes it so interesting to me. Uh, you know, the the and the and the overall length is key. Thirty five minutes is for this kind of thing is so so refreshing. There's no, there are two I think instrumentals on here that are kind of you know album tracks of noise and voiceover and whatnot. And they're maybe a minute, um, but other than that, and they're well placed to set up the record and kind of give you a break halfway through or, or towards the end. Um, but that, that, the overall link is so key to where, yeah, you just, you, you don't get full of anything, <laughs> you know, you just get enough and, and it intrigues you. And then you want to spin it again to kind of get in deeper as opposed to being, you know, in track, uh, 13 and you've already put an hour and almost an hour into the record and you're like, okay, I'm exhausted. Like you guys are, <laughs> taking a left turn and a right turn and you know it's a roller coaster ride that i'm just spent um right. you don't feel like that at the end of the record you're like oh i could i'm ready to go around again let's let's yeah. see what i hear the second time it's funny i've been talking to my brother a little bit about uh metallica lately and going back and you know trying to listen to albums like saint anger or lulu to try to figure out what's going on and it's pretty much the opposite of what brainiac was doing here because you get about five songs into each of those albums and you've already invested 45 minutes and it's like, 
Oh man, there's there's another forty five minutes to an hour left on these albums. It's right. like, <laughs> it's like, oh man, I I just I can't devote enough so much time to this one record that's really not very good. But so that's you know back being in high school when the sound uh, the Brainiac album came out, having it be so short was probably one of the better things because you know it left it, like I said it leaves you wanting more, but it doesn't leave you unsatisfied. Mm-hmm. I think it's just. It's absolutely it's it's just the perfect length. I mean, there could have been one or two more tracks, but I I can't argue with how they left it, especially how the album ends with "I'm a Cracked Machine." Just ends perfectly, and there's really nowhere to go from there. Yeah, it's rare in the '90s. We you know we've reviewed enough of these records where that becomes a theme of. Yep. You know they're all almost. 90% of the records we've reviewed are too long. Even the ones I think Tim and I really like will still say, ah, mm-hmm. yeah. to trim a ton or two <laughs> off. It, you know, um, so yeah, it isn't the new, I mean, the new Metallica album is the same. I haven't, uh, I've listened to uh-huh. reviews of it and stuff. I've heard, but it sounds like it's the same issue. Like it's just too much stuff. Well, it's a double exactly. album. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the first song, yeah, that hardwired to self-destruct is pretty good, you know, but after you get about three or four songs in, it's oh man, there's nine more songs at least of this. And it's, um, I I can't listen to that much Metallica in one sitting. Yeah. No, if they had just released one album of that, and it was only like forty minutes, it would have been great. <laughs> yeah. But well, it's had... like guys re- release an album a year instead of waiting eight years and releasing one, <laughs> you know, three hours long. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Jay, let's give our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP, decent single? Where do you stand? I'm gonna word the album. I, I going into this, I was um I was I was a little uh, scared. <laughs> um just to the reputation of the band and having just gone through the Mr. Bungle record, I, I was still sort of spent on that. So I was expecting that experience to happen again and i was uh pleasantly surprised and um glad that this finally got on my radar actually hearing the band i had heard the sort of the legend and all the stories and whatnot but um it was a good um, i appreciate the opportunity to be able to spend some time with the music and actually uh absorb it and then be able to talk about it so definitely worthy album for me hey we agree we're the album how about that yeah this is a pleasant surprise in terms of even though it is abrasive, even though it is noisy, and it is something that I can understand why you know it wasn't on mainstream radio, this is a really cool document of a unique period in our music history uh, in terms of this is a band that was, you know, they had put this out on Touch and Go, and they were getting major label heat. Which is really interesting to think about, like what would they have put out on a major label in 1997, 1998, that kind of thing. So, hey, what do you guys think about the uh, the using the numbers and the album, the song titles? That drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of confusing, but I, I mean, it's. I had a hell of a time doing my notes. I'm like, is this what is this song called? Be, <laughs> be keep. Beekeeper's Maxim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were a couple that I wasn't sure if I transcribed them right. This yeah, has got to be. Because uh, even on Spotify, they still put the numbers into the song titles. It's kind of 
I mean, they get the album and the band name right, but in the songs, they still leave the numbers in. Hey, man, this is killing their uh, their hits in the, in the uh, streaming services. Nobody can find the damn songs. Yeah. Is it? How do you spell pussyfoot in, in Brainiac language? <laughs> it's a little it's a little uh, over the top, but I, I guess they were they were anticipating uh, texting culture before uh, texting actually happened. True. So. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, thanks for bringing this album to the band and or to this to the band to this album to the podcast. Uh, this is a great pick. This is. You know, we don't get to a lot of, uh, I guess it would be electro punk or noise rock or art punk. Those are some of the descriptions you could use for this, which we have not covered a whole lot of. Uh, so appreciate it. Looking bring on the kiss. F- yeah, bring on the kiss. Oh, yeah. I got to do a lot of research for that one. But no, I'm, I'm totally glad to bring this down to you guys. I mean, it's kind of surprising that you, being from Ohio, that you hadn't heard the sound, but the more people that, I think can hear this record the better. And I think that's what this podcast is all about. Just introducing people to stuff that, you know, they might've overlooked or not gotten around to listening to. So glad you guys enjoyed it. To be fair, I'm not actually originally from Ohio. That's this is all falls on Jay's shoulders to cover all of the actual <laughs> Ohio bands. I'm originally from Ohio, but I don't live in Ohio anymore. So right. we can't get our together. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a miscommunication there somewhere. And so we'll be doing Kiss uh, in the second half of the year. Are we, does that mean we're covering the Carnival of Souls album? Is that 90s? Hell yeah, we are. Oh, yes. Oh, we're definitely going to talk about that that period. Oh, we're yeah. doing the Carnival of Souls and the Psycho Circus. Oh, oh I, I like Psycho Circus. Oh, oh no. That's got, that's got one of um, uh, Ace's best songs, Into the Void. Yeah. That's the only good song on the album. Hello. <laughs> I think it's the only song he, he and Peter played on. Well, no, I like the title track. I like the title track on that record. They didn't play on it. Well, yeah, it's all studio musicians, but who cares? It's still a good song. <laughs> want to remind everybody, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And, of course, if you want to join the conversation, head on over to patreon.com forward slash dig me out for as little as a buck a month you can get behind the scenes information previews bonus content votes on future albums that we'll be reviewing that sort of thing thank you to our guest chris for jay i'm tim we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.